Well, turn with me once again, if you will, to the book of Acts. Again, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles available on the back table, as well as uh, this morning's passage is printed in the bulletin uh, in the insert that you have in front of you. Again, a special welcome to those of you who are visiting. We're glad that you're here. And uh, we have been studying this book, the book of Acts, which is our normal practice to walk through books of the Bible, uh, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph. We've been walking through the book of Acts for the past couple months, and I hope it has been shaping us as a church, as Acts has reminded us again of what Jesus has done, what He is still doing through the power of His Spirit, through the presence of His Spirit, and even in our midst. Because the book of Acts is a book that has centered us again on who we are to be, on what we are to be about, and on the promises that accompany our life together as the church. Well, this morning we continue in chapter 5. Last week we looked at the first half of the chapter and we continue looking at the last half of the chapter and you'll see in verse, excuse me, in chapter 5, you'll see familiar themes. Themes that we have seen a bit before as the church continues to grow and advance. But rather than being redundant, I think Luke tells us this story. He tells us this account that again, there might be laid for us another layer of stability in our corporate life together as the church of Jesus. Because these words are not just written for a first century baby church that's trying to figure itself out, but it's written for a 21st century church that doesn't have it all together yet either, but needs to be centered, that needs to be grounded. And so let's hear God's Word and give careful attention to it. Acts chapter 5, I'm going to start reading in verse 12 and then read to the end of the chapter, verse 42. Listen as I read. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and they laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem bringing the sick and the afflicted with unclean spirits and they all were healed. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. 
But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching." And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days... Thudius rose up claiming to be someone, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is, that Christ is Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You are too late. There is no stopping it now. That's a line that uh, any number of sinister villains in any number of movies across the ages might say. It describes a series of events that are headed towards what seems like will be an inevitable result. You're too late. There's no stopping it now. For to think about the context of these words in Acts chapter 5, it's a quote that likely describes these very Jewish authorities and the way they felt when Jesus was finally condemned to die. 
Right? After, after years of frustrating confrontations, they finally found a way. Oh, the pride that they must have felt at finally bringing down yet another threat to their authority. Another threat to their way of life. As Jesus hung on that cross and cried out, it is finished. How they must have smugly thought, yeah, it is over. But that's not the end of the story, is it? That's not the book of Acts, is it? Because the book of Acts is the story of the tables turned. The book of Acts is the story of the church. The book of Acts is the victory story. And we're just on chapter 1. That quote I began with, you're too late, there's no stopping it now, is, is now, ironically enough, maybe on the lips of the apostles. Maybe at least in their minds. And brothers and sisters, Church of Jesus Christ, that is the encouragement to us here today. For there is no stopping what is on the move now. This is quite a story, Acts chapter 5. It's not an altogether unfamiliar story as we have kind of walked through the first four chapters of this book. As we think about this story for a few moments, I want to do so centered on two truths. So kids, you great note takers. Two truths that we're going to look at. But under each of those, they're going to have three things. So one, two, and then three under each of them. And the first truth is this. The message and mission of the church is life unstoppable. The message and the mission of the church is life unstoppable. Life unstoppable. That's how Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, describes and names the message and the mission of the church. And I love that he does that. Right Later in the book of Acts, he will call the church, he will call the believers in Jesus, he will call them the way. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about all the different ways that he has characterized the people of God. He calls them brothers. He calls them the church. But here in verse 20, We read the angel's instructions to the disciples. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. This life. As I was reading and as I was studying this week, John Calvin, a name that some of you know, great reformer in the Protestant Reformation, in his commentary, he put this image in my hand as if the angel was pointing his finger and saying, go and speak to them. This life. This is the life that they were made for. This is the life that you as the church were made to proclaim. And indeed, this is what we believe. This is what we're about as the church. The life. This life. Capital L. Life. And it's not just life eternal. It's not just fire insurance for an age to come. It's life. It's peace and joy and purpose. It's a rock and it's an anchor for our souls. 
It's a message that our loved ones need to hear and they need to embrace. It's redemption and restoration that needs to ooze out of us into the society in which we live and the cultural structures of our day. Because this whole account reminds us that ultimately this life, what God is doing, is unstoppable. And why do I think that we need to hear this? Maybe again, because we've kind of talked about this a bit. We talked about it way back in the book of Nehemiah a bit. We even talked about it in these first couple chapters of the book of Acts. But why do we need to hear about this? Because at times, if we're honest, it seems like we're on the losing side of this battle. The world is in turmoil, hunger, terrorism. Huge, seemingly insurmountable problems on our planet. And then we turn to our country and the cultural tide is, is overwhelming. The violence of our day. The sexual immorality of our day. The killing of the unborn in our day. The godlessness of our day. And that's not even getting down to the personal level. To what's going on in your life right now. See, what is a church supposed to do? Well, God says you need to be reminded that you're part of life unstoppable. We just sang a few minutes ago about the church and that great verse, the church shall never perish her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and false sons in her pale against or foe or traitor, she ever shall prepare, prevail. You see, as God reminds us here in Acts chapter 5 of how it all began, though it looks differently for us here today than it did for this church, the principles are still the same. And so let's pick apart this and let's just look at three things about this life unstoppable, this message and mission of the church that is life unstoppable. First, notice through this story, through this account, the unstoppable power that the church has. The unstoppable power that the church has. One of the first things that we see here is this continued answer to prayer. Specifically, the prayer of God's people that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Something I prayed for us this morning already. That we would be filled anew and afresh with the Holy Spirit. Back in, four, in chapter 4, verse 30, these new followers of Jesus had prayed that God would stretch out his hand to, to heal, to perform signs and wonders. And that was after they had just witnessed an incredible sign. As this lame man over 40 years of age was, was healed, and then Peter and John were attacked by the authorities of the day and, and, and were intimidated, and, and yet they marched on. And now God continues to answer in verse 12. And he allows not just Peter, but the rest of the apostles to perform powerful signs to validate a powerful, life-giving message. And there was more to these healings than just validating a message. Than just giving a sign. 
For just as they were when they were performed by the hand of the Master Jesus, these were a taste. We talked about this a bit already. These were a taste of the wholeness that the Gospel brings. An intrusion of the world that is promised and still to come. See, the Holy Spirit was in this. And therefore, the power that they had was unstoppable. There's this amazing phrase in here. There's this amazing description where it talks about the people wanting to get into Peter's shadow. And it's something that has kind of made everybody wonder what's being talked about there. Some say it's just merely superstition, for there was superstition among the ancient people of that day that shadows would carry some sort of mystical power. And after they had seen Peter heal this lame man, surely maybe they thought just his shadow. But then we think about Jesus. We think about the woman who touched the hem of Jesus. And she was healed. And the flow of blood stopped. And then we we were to jump ahead and sneak ahead in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, we read about the, the hankies and the aprons of Paul. Let me read it to you. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. So I don't know what to tell you about Peter's shadow, but I will tell you it's not out of the realm of the Holy Spirit's power to accomplish something like that. Unstoppable power. But what's the takeaway for us? Are we to pray for the same phenomenon in our day? Well, no, not necessarily. This was a unique time and place. And the apostolic mission was a very unique mission for the people of God. But, that same Spirit who accomplished that mission in the first century is the same Spirit that we have in the church. It's the same ministry to the broken. To the broken among us, to the broken outside of us. And that ministry may not be a dramatic healing. It may not be a healing via a shadow. But it is to be an intrusion of the world to come. A wholeness. A gospel wholeness that you can bring to the world and to those around you. We have that. Be encouraged. This is life unstoppable. That's the first thing. Second thing under this first point is we have confidence in the unstoppable message. The unstoppable message. Our passage contains what must have been what no doubt was a dramatic but greatly understated angelic release from prison. Not many details are given. It's like, yeah, they were in prison, the angel came and got them. We do know that they didn't break out of jail. Clearly, this was a divine thing, and we know the purpose for it. The purpose for it was simply put, 
Go break the law some more. Right? That's what the angel of the Lord told them. Go break the law. Go share the Gospel. God was saying without question that the Word of God will not be silenced. That He will do whatever needs to be done. The Gospel, His Word, will go out. The apostles were seemingly ideal citizens up until this point, and now the time has come, Peter says, to obey God rather than men. Because this is a message that trumps everything. And they, like we, like Paul, need not be ashamed of the Gospel. Because it is what? It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. This is life unstoppable. An unstoppable power, an unstoppable message, and then finally an unstoppable church. Because after all, that's what an unstoppable message and an unstoppable power produce is an unstoppable church. And here the church finds an unexpected ally in one of its enemies, Gamaliel, a respected teacher of the day. Actually, the teacher of Paul, the teacher of the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders in the schools for the Pharisees, and he had a voice, and the Sovereign Lord used that voice to keep things moving. And it's amazing that they even listened to his advice. His advice was common sense, wasn't it? And yet with all the emotions of verse 33, it's amazing that they even listened to his counsel. And he cites these two movements, these two names. Studius, we don't know much about him from church history. He's kind of an unknown leader in an unknown movement. Judas the Galilean led a tax revolt in the year A.D. 6. And it was this religious and nationalist movement that said it was treasonous to pay taxes to Caesar. Well, you can imagine that Rome is going to deal with that one quickly and swiftly as they did. But Gamaliel says this is different. We love to see God turning the hearts of the leaders and turning the hearts of those who are in authority. Reminds me of David and his words, Lord, give me favor. Prayer that we need to pray. Give us favor. Because our message and our power and this Church, and what you're building is an unstoppable life. And Luke goes on in verse 14. He's been telling us, he's been giving us account of how the church has been growing. And now in verse 14, he doesn't even give us a number. He's lost count. It's just growing. It's growing a lot. See, this account reminds us That what God is doing by the power of His Spirit and through the church, that no man, no ideology, no philosophy, no government, no institution, no radical movement, no so-called human progress can stop this life, this power, this message, His church. Rodney Stark, who wrote a book that I've quoted before, 
The Triumph of Christianity, a great book about the history of the church, begins that book saying, He was a teacher and miracle worker who spent nearly all of his brief ministry in the tiny and obscure province of Galilee. How is it possible for this obscure Jewish sect to become the largest religion in the world? It's because it's life unstoppable. Well, that's the first thing I wanted us to set our minds on, but there's another. And it's related, of course. And it has to do with you. So yes, God's doing this work and we're reminded of God's power and we're reminded of what we have as the church and our call and our mission. But how does this hit you in your place in life? What's the second point that I think God wants us to see from Acts 5? And it's simply this. It's not all that profound. But God calls you to be part of this life. God calls you to be part of this life unstoppable. And I think it's interesting when we look at this passage that we see three different types of people. And I suspect that all three are represented here in this room. First, we see the guarded. The guarded. Let me explain what I mean by that. We read in verse 13, None of the rest dared join them but the people held them in high esteem. Now, it's pretty clear that the them in verse 13 are the apostles, those who are gathered in Solomon's portico, this gate in Jerusalem, this place of gathering. What is not so clear is who the rest are. The rest who dared not join them. Are the rest unbelievers? Some say they are unbelievers that just have respect for what has gone on. Some say the rest are believers that just don't have the boldness of these apostles. But either way, there was a group of people in Acts chapter 5 who were interested, but a little unsure. They were kind of in, but ultimately, they were uncommitted. I mean, maybe for them... The cost was just too great. Maybe for them, the risk involved was just a bit too high. Maybe for them, their reputations were on the line, showing themselves to be with these new rabble-rousers of Jerusalem. For them, maybe they simply feared for their lives. (laughs) I mean, that's a legitimate concern based upon what we saw in the beginning of Acts chapter 5 in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. So for them, for the guarded, this was worth some interest. But just not everything yet. And maybe not everything ever. You see, I think this is the first group of people for us. Because I think this is so often... Us, we are nibblers, we are dabblers, we are fence-sitters, we are toe-in-the-water kind of folks when it comes to our pursuit of Jesus. This passage speaks to you, if that describes you, and reminds you and prods you to say that there is a risk that is right. 
There is a life that is unstoppable. There is a life that is worth everything, even at the risk of death. And so if you're guarded, God calls you to be part of this life, to be all in. That's the first group of people I think we see. And then secondly, we obviously see the opposition. I mean, that's, that's clear. There is a group of people, the high priest, the captain of the temple, the chief priests, all these men fearly, clearly fell into this category that they are opposed, that their worst They were jealous, verse 17 says, guarding their own power, becoming easily enraged, but at their best, they were perplexed, verse 24 says. Did you notice that in their questioning, in this opposition group against the Gospel and the proclamation of the name of Jesus, did you notice that in their question, they didn't even ask about how these guys got out of prison? It didn't matter to them. And did you notice that they didn't bring up the name of Jesus? They didn't say it once. No, they say, this name, this man's blood you want to bring upon us, your teaching you're filling the streets with. And then when Jesus' name is brought up in verse 33, they become enraged, literally They are cut to the heart, is what it says there. They are cut to their heart, and their attitude boils over in anger. You see, this this is the world. This is the world. Because there will always be those in your life and in your circles who resent you who resent the message that you bring and the life that you spout. And there are those who just won't understand what you're about, but they'll hate it. And they won't want to get to the bottom of it. They'll just hate it. And the response and the hardness of the Jewish leaders here reminds us of a work that only God can do because they're blind to all the signs around them. They don't want to know how they got out of prison. They don't want to explore more about the lame man being healed. They don't want to ask about the shadow. You see, these are men, these are women in our lives who need to be cut to the heart. But they need to be cut to the heart by the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 and the Spirit that accompanies. And so certainly if you sit here this morning and you are opposed to the Word of God, that you're opposed to this Jesus, then we pray for you. That the Lord would do in your life a work that only He can do. And for those of you who have those in your circles, co-workers, family members, who you have wept for because they won't see what is in front of them. Don't be discouraged, but pray for that work that only the Spirit can do. And then finally, there is the bold. We talked about boldness last week, so I won't reiterate here, but other than to simply say that's what the disciples are, 
And that's what I want to be. That's who I want to be in these in this passage, these men who threw Jesus in the face of the leaders of the day, those who had hoped to forget Him, men who rejoiced in their suffering for the sake of the Gospel. And it's so easy for us to read that that little line, they beat them and then they were released. No, if we were to describe the beating that the apostles received, this was no literal or figurative slap on the back. This was a beating, an excruciatingly painful and humiliating beating. And they endured it. And they rejoiced in it. Because they knew that they were part of life unstoppable. These are men who desire to reflect more than anything else the Savior who did all of that suffered and was beaten and was intimidated and more for them. Wherever you are this morning, whether you are defensive, whether you are on guard, whether you are a toe in the water, give up your resistance. Trust in what God is doing. Trust in the message given to you and and be the church by His grace and for His glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for this great account which reminds us again of Your work in the world and of our part in that work. Father, we confess our timidity. We confess our guardedness. We confess our selfishness. And we pray that wherever we are this morning, that You and Your Spirit and Your Word of power would cut us to the heart, would drive us to our knees, would drive us to our Savior, that we might walk from this place eager to live in the grace that is ours through Him by the power of the Spirit given to all who believe. Father, what a wondrous message. What a glorious Gospel. What an unstoppable church. Father, thank You. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.